Hey, everybody, Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough and Be Good live this Saturday, June 20th, with the world's toughest men at their most vulnerable. Butterbean, WWE Hall of Famer Sting, my good friend, stuntman extraordinaire, Tunnel I Read, Malibu from the American Gladiators, Darren McBee, martial arts legend, Jenny the Bet Urquidez, fitness icon, Michael Hearn, mixed martial arts legend, Boss Rutten, the angel of Skid Row, LAPD's Dion Joseph, in one corner and in the other, the Hells Angels, Rusty Coots, Game of Thrones, World's Strongest Man, Hothor Bjornsson, and none other than the incredible Hulk himself, Lou Ferrigno. We're going to be talking about basically doing our best to end the divisiveness and pass a message on of hope, of strength, of positivity, of reconciliation in these very challenging times. We're on this Saturday, June 20th, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, in benefit of two amazing nonprofits doing the greatest work that can be done in the social injustice space. And those are Live Free USA and the National Cares Mentoring Movement. All the information at www.talking-tough.com, including where to watch. Be good this Saturday, June 20th. Hope to see you all there on Talking Tough. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men power trip of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, the artiste, Aiden English. Spotlight, please. It's a thing 
to see Yes, it's a thing to be Sports entertainer in the 21st century I'm gonna make you clap I'm gonna make you cheer You'll kick somebody in the teeth Until there's money out the rear And just when you think that Aiden English should choke I'll shove my boot right down your throat And then I'll sing as you choke Because it's a thing to be Yes, it's a thing to see Sports entertainer right here in the WWE In English ready for our main event here Hello and welcome to the two man power trip of wrestling I am your host G John Paz, and this is the infamous feature episode, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. And on today's episode, we welcome in a former NXT World Tag Team Champion, former WB, and of course, NXT Superstar. You may know him as the Drama King or Aiden English. He is Matt Raywall. And we bring him in for an unbelievably great conversation and just kind of go through his entire career from top to bottom and even what he's doing today, which is a great show over on YouTube called Wrestling with Whiskey. So if you're into the alcoholic beverages or you want to get into something maybe a little bit more adult, I highly recommend Wrestling with Whiskey over on YouTube. Good stuff. I mean, even if you're thinking about it or maybe making the jump to to uh, some bourbon and to some whiskey, I would highly recommend that show over on YouTube. And, of course, also on the show today, we discuss him getting into FCW, then the entire run at NXT, then, of course, getting called up to a WWE with SmackDown, the whole, basically, run of the Vaude Villains, the tag team with Simon Gotch. We go over the characters, the gimmick, what it was all about, whose idea was, how much creative freedom you have in NXT versus how much creative freedom that you really have in the WWE. We get into kind of a great little discussion about the broader audience in WWE and how some things that are so great in NXT fail to get over in WWE or maybe are not meant to get over in WWE. We, of course, also talk about his friendship and rivalry. There was a mix of both there uh, towards the end of his WWE run, but with Rusev and the infamous Rusev angle that was going on. And, of course, when you talk about that, you got to talk about Rusev Day and how over that got, despite them really being a heel act and being the quote-unquote bad guys, that team and that duo got over huge with the crowd, and you had the fans chaining Rusev Day, uh, getting huge pops when they came out, so it was really, really kind of cool to delve into that and really what he thought about that and how they were featured really well on TV, but why didn't that baby face turn come? Why didn't they you know, get that good guy run? Uh, considering how over they were with the crowd, he goes into the psychology of all that, which is really cool. We also talk about the infamous voice 
that he has and how he's been able to kind of use that to not only be an announcer but just really kind of be a great singer as well as a performer and how he really kind of uses his voice in uh, many different ways so really cool to kind of delve into that as well because if you remember him he was an announcer briefly i mean there was a one or two appearances on smackdown but really on nxt uk and of course 205 live so he definitely has that ability he's doing so much today outside of WWE. it's one of those things where a lot of the guys when they get released you're like oh well what's next what are they going to do now well not him he is busier than ever he's got so much going on so uh, like i mentioned before please check out wrestling with whiskey on youtube check out all of his social medias he's got a lot going on so before i turn it over to the interview just want to also bring up a part of the a two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire we have taking you to school with dr tom pritchard on the tmpt feed we have mlw radios University of Dutch with Dirty Dutch Mantel, which is, of course, available, like I said, on MLW. Then you have Rick Bassman's Talking Tough and Three-Way Dance, which is available on Podcast One. And, of course, last but not least, Shane Douglas's Triple Threat Podcast, which is available on Russo's brand over on the Realm Network. And if you're around this Saturday night, June 20th, a huge show called Be Good will be available on the Talking Tough media realm. It'll be available on Instagram. It'll be available on Facebook Live. Check out Rick Bassman. He'll be the host and moderator of it. And it's really something absolutely special and just amazingly fantastic that Rick has been able to put together and pull off. They have the Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno. The Icon, Sting, a.k.a. Steve Borden, will be there. The Titan, Michael Hearn. The Mountain from Game of Thrones. Dion Joseph, Rusty Coons. So many more and just some huge, huge names involved with that. So if you're around Saturday night, check that out. It'll be on Facebook Live. It'll be on Instagram. It'll be on uh, Talking Tough's YouTube page. I mean, it's going to be everywhere. So check it out. That is B good now without any further ado send it over to the interview with mr aiden english aka the drama king Superstar. He was a former NXT World Tag Team Champion. You may now know him as the Drama King. He is Aiden English, a.k.a. Matt Raywalt. Matt, welcome to the two-man power trip. Hey, John. Thank you very much for having me on. No problem at all, and I feel like you've got so much going on. So what's been going on in your world lately? Maybe not even wrestling-related. Oh, I got Yeah, I mean, it's since the wrestling world, you know, aside from a few top motions pretty much stopped so 
But the one thing I cannot do is stop. I'm really bad at sitting still. So, yeah, man, the last couple of months since things like quarantine and lockdown have been around, I've really dove in, uh, into, like, online media, into my Wrestling With Whiskey project, jumping into things like YouTube and Twitch. and So just really expanding my profile in that realm. Very cool. Now tell us a little bit about Wrestling With Whiskey because I was checking that out. Like That is so cool, but you don't think of some guys – that be maybe into that or can can kind of divulge into it, but you know a lot about whiskey. Well, it started it started slowly, and it really just evolved from a couple of years ago, wanting to like I don't know how to put it without just saying like I wanted to learn how to like drink like an adult <laughs> because you know like I, I wasn't 22 anymore I wasn't I didn't want to party all the time I'm way too exhausted for that especially with our schedule, <laughs> um, and I you know what I didn't like. Um, this sounds crazy, but like, I don't like the feeling of being inebriated. I really, I don't enjoy it. Like some people get lit up by it. I really get uncomfortable with it. So I'm like, I want to enjoy a beverage, but I want to appreciate it. I want to taste it. Like some people do. My dad was always a big scotch sipper. Like he would just sit on the porch. He's got one ice cube in his scotch. And I was like, God, I could never do that because it's a very you know, strong taste. The alcohol is strong. And so, uh, I just kind of, I did it as like, just to see if I could honestly, and um, just to see if I could drink a whiskey without water or ice or mixing it with Coke or anything, just to train myself to see if I could do it. And when I did, I ended up falling in love with all the flavors and aromas and kind of turned into the thing like where you see people are with wine. I'm kind of like that with whiskey. Yeah, you, you fell in love with it. That is great. Do you have some suggestions if somebody wanted to kind of get into that world and start slowly? Like where, where did they start? Where did you start? So, I mean, I do actually, if you go to YouTube, uh, my Wrestling With Whiskey YouTube channel, actually, I have two recent videos. I have top five tips for new whiskey fans, as well as a top five list of the five best starter bourbons, uh, especially if you're going to get into bourbon, in my opinion. But to me, it's just, it's kind of do that. It's just pick something uh, affordable. It doesn't have to be fancy. More expensive does not equal better in the whiskey world. There's a lot of great whiskeys are on the shelf for less than $30, even less than 20. And so to start with something simple at your local store, just pick one and then and just sit with it and try to try to sip it neat, maybe with one ice cube and just, yeah, rather than just slamming it down, sit with it a second, try to see if you can pick up any flavors of you know, caramels, vanillas, uh, charred oak, things like that. And uh, just take your time and enjoy it. It's all about having fun. That's why I dove so much into it. Is it weird to be into something as much as wrestling? But, you know, being a wrestler, it's like, okay, now I have something else that I'm delving into. Is that weird at all for you, like mentally, like getting into a completely different realm? Well, it's it's two things. It's fantastic, actually, because as I'm sure anybody you've talked to, you know, like wrestling can in, take over your whole world. I mean, especially when you're on the, the schedule of like a WWE performer and everything. I mean, every single week, it was four or five days a week on the road hotel, gym, arena, wrestle, blah, 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 blah. But um, so to have something else in my life to really like dive into, to get away from work because it can take over your whole life was actually really nice, a great escape. And it was the first thing I was like this kind of nerdy or this passionate about since I fell in love with wrestling so many years ago. So I actually love it. Very cool. And I love the, the YouTube channel, how you kind of got all those videos and kind of break it apart. Do you actually get like sponsorships from these whiskey or are you just doing it for the love of it? 
I mean, I'm just doing it for the love of it. Honestly, that's where it all started from. I just want to share my journey because I'm still a baby in this. I'm still new. I'm learning every single day. Uh, I mean, at the the most I've had, I, I've had a couple of distilleries send me some small samples just to like, hey, if you want to review this, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. But that's pretty much it. Um, but, I, you know, I'd love to work. I thought, thought about that too, even in this time. Hey, maybe what kind of work could I maybe do with a whiskey brand or something like that? But for me right now, it's just for the love, the love of the product. Very cool. Now, is that keeping your mind away from wrestling completely, or you still have your eye on the prize as far as the current wrestling landscape? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's taking me uh, completely away. Of course, you know, wrestling is my first love, so. I still have my kind of eye on the landscape as it is and absolutely have uh, intentions of continuing to perform in, the, in that world and, uh, and do, do my thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Were you always a, a big wrestling fan? Is that something that kind of got you into it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, every, I came to it a little bit later than a lot of the kids my age, but that's because we, like my brothers saw, like, I remember they went to an event at like the Rosemont horizon with my dad when I, I was still a baby, but my older brothers went with them. They went to like one event just cause it was like the thing to do in like the early nineties, but I was too little. And then uh, we never had cable TV. So I never saw Monday night raw on USA or anything in the early nineties. So I caught in probably like around 98, 99 when I was about 10, 11 years old. And then, I mean, from then on, it was just boom. It was head over heels and like, never missed a week of anything once, once I was able to actually finally see it on TV and everything I, I kind of did as far as like the acting and performing stuff that prior was all just to help me out once I wanted to keep or get to wrestling. How did you actually kind of break in and how do you get into it? To uh, wrestling or acting? Uh, wrestling. Um, so for me, I, I, I originally wanted to go right as soon as I was done with high school I thought I wanted to go. I'm like, I'm going to be a wrestler. I'm going to go do wrestling training. Uh, and my parents, one, one caveat was just, please go to college. And they were like, you can, you can train while you're in college, but we want you to get a degree just in anything. We don't care what, just please have a, four, a piece of paper that says I went somewhere for four years and that, I'm, you know, I can do something. So of course I chose one of the more, out there majors and I did I got an acting degree because again I thought it would help me on camera and perform in front of crowds and just hone my performance skills but then after college honestly I wanted to train there wasn't a lot in the Chicago area at the time as far as super reputable schools so I knew FCW was WWE's developmental and so I was always on their website and I saw that Steve Kern the owner kind of as a side project offered a night class a couple times a year. And so I'm like, well, if I'm going to learn, I may as well go down there and learn from people who are working with future WWE stars. That seems to make the most sense to me. So I, I packed up a bag. I, I rented a room out of a stranger's home on Craigslist, uh, flew down to Florida, and then took the class where I trained with Norman Smiley. And that's kind of how it all began. Literally took the best option. You go straight to the, uh, you know, the horse. You know what I mean. You go straight for uh, WWE developmental. It was a great idea. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's the biggest piece. And it doesn't have to be that because obviously, you know, that kind of a system isn't there uh, mm-hmm. in that same form. But that's one of my biggest pieces of advice to anybody who asks, "Hey, I want to get into wrestling or I'm new to wrestling. What piece of advice do you have for me?" And number one is find a reputable school. Uh, you know, just find someone who's had some success. You don't, it doesn't have to be like 
a WWE world champion, but somebody who's, who's traveled around, who's worked a lot, who's had some success, who's made a living in this business. Because there's a lot of people, unfortunately, in wrestling uh, in the outside world who could, you know, who might not know a lot and might try to take advantage of someone young and excited to get into the business. So always do your research. That is interesting that a lot of wrestlers then get into acting. You're the opposite, acting first and then get into wrestling. It's kind of uh, opposite from what you hear mostly. Yeah, um, just because, like I said, like uh, my, that was my parents' thing, please go to school. So I'm like, well, I'm going to take that opportunity while I'm in school to hone to hone the acting skill. Because I did fall in love with acting in high school just on its own, I, even without the wrestling in mind. But then I'm like, well, if I can make these two work together, why not? What did you think about FCW? Because you hear all the stories about it, like, oh, you know, you're training you know, at the back of a grocery store, or, you know, you got food over here and you got the ring over here. What did you think about the training down in FCW? I mean, the training, I mean, again, if, if anybody did see the, the documentary on the WWE Network, I actually thought it did a really great job of kind of the, the guys all gave a great picture of, of what it was like down there. And um, when I went down there for the night class, I was just, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed i was just like these are rings where you know the wwe guys train in so to me it was just it could have been the in the middle of a parking lot i would have been like starstruck so uh i thought it was great you know it was compared to the performance center obviously it pales in comparison but at the time you know i really appreciated what it was and especially once i got signed working with people like norman smiley ricky steamboat dusty Rhodes, uh dr tom pritchard joey mercury uh, getting to learn under people like that was was amazing. Any environment it was in. Awesome coaches down there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it just was a remarkable set of coaches down there to kind of help you out. When you're there, are you thinking immediately, you know, WV is my goal. I got to get there. I got to get there. Or are you just kind of enjoying the training and, and enjoying the moment? That's tough. I think what anybody, especially at the beginning, um, and especially back at uh, in the early FCW days, and because I came in at the tail end of the, you know, FCW era, as it were, before NXT, and I think at that time it was. I mean, just because, at, as great as it was, it did still feel very island unto itself. It's small time. This is just developmental, um, and so the goal was, you know, to get Raw and SmackDown and WrestleMania were miles, hundreds of miles away. It felt like especially like during the period I was there, it was growing and exploding. That gap started to feel smaller. And so there was a little bit more of a satisfaction of like, hell, like I love it here. I think everybody, again, the end goal for everyone is WrestleMania. Those moments, those crowds, those arenas are hard to top in any environment. But there was more and more of a feeling of like, we're doing our own thing and it's pretty cool. And obviously now they're on live television, on cable TV every week. Like they are truly, there's, very little, if any, like developmental left on it. It is truly its own arm of the company. And so, yeah, now it's a totally different beast. But back then, yeah, the goal was, was always to get up there. Now, as far as getting a developmental contract with FCW, you're doing the night classes, you're training, but how do you get the developmental deal from them? Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I like, I, I'm, I fully, fully admit this. And, um, it's, I, I think I had a great, great combo of timing and just having a good relationship with the right people. Honest to goodness, 
Uh, Norman Smiley will deny it to to this very day. I, I credit him with getting me my, my chance because I did that and I came back to Chicago and I worked a couple local indies, you know, once a month, something like that. I was I'm still so, 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 so green. Um, but at, while I was training, me and Norman had a really great rapport. And then he called me about four or five months later and was like, hey, uh, TR was looking for people. They asked me if I had any students or knew anybody. And he goes, I put your name out there, and I, I said you had a lot of potential. No promises, no guarantees, but uh, just wanted to let you know that, you know, they were asking, you know, take care. And that was it. And so I was like, wow, that's awesome, expecting nothing. And then, sure enough, out of the blue, a couple of weeks later, uh, TR reached out asking, you know, for some more information. And then I gave it to him, didn't hear anything. And then, boom, Johnny Ace, John Laurinaitis calls me, and they offer me a deal. They kind of – they took a chance on me when they really didn't need to or had very little information to go off of other than Norman Smiley's recommendation. So I owe a lot to him. And when you say TR, what do you mean by that? Sorry, uh, so talent relations. Oh, so, talent relations. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So initially it was Ty Bailey, I think, back in 2011 who reached out. And then, but then Johnny Ace, uh, John Laurinaitis took over after that. Nice. When you get that call from Ace, what is that like? I mean, everyone has like a Johnny Ace story or maybe even, no, not something necessarily negative, but always kind of something funny to say about Johnny Ace. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I guess the funniest thing was, so I, at the time I was working as a personal trainer, like early, early morning. So I was like up at four client was at like 5am and then I was done by like 11am. And so I just come home. It was like noon. So I'm tired. I'm pretty much getting ready to take like a nap for the day. And I get a 203, which is a Stanford, Connecticut number. And I pick it up. And Johnny, with, without even skipping a beat, like, barely, not even like, a chance for me to say hi. He's like, hey, man, this is John Laurinaitis. Just wanted to let you know we looked over your things. We're going to offer you a developmental deal. It's going to start at this time. We're going to pay you this much a week. We need you down in Florida at X amount of time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you talk to my secretary. She'll give you some more of the details. Thank you very much. Like, I didn't even get to say a word. Click. Goodbye. <laughs> and... I proceed to scream and do two laps around my house and uh, then spoke with his assistant or whoever it was and uh, started out hearing out details, but it was a cat, which is like whirlwind. What is he, too busy to, to give you a longer call? What's, what's hey, going on with Johnny? I think, he was, I think yeah, you know what, to be fair, I, it might have been money. I think that was the time when he was an on-air character, too, doing the uh, people power stuff, I think, still. So I think uh, maybe, maybe he might have even been at TV for all I know. So <laughs> that is great, though. I mean, that's so funny. It's like, wait, huh, wait, got a question, and then he doesn't. <laughs> there's nothing. <Yeah. laughs> no, no uh, able way to uh, respond back. That's great. Hey, that's uh, that's a pretty funny Johnny Ace story. I feel like everybody's got one of them, right? I mean, everyone has something to say about Ace. Oh, of course, good old Johnny. He's been around for so long. If you think about it, my God. Whew. I mean, wrestling in general with WWE has been there for uh, almost 20 years now. So it's crazy yeah. to think how long he's been around. Absolutely. So when you get signed to developmental, how soon does FCW turn into NXT? So I came in, in Feb- right at the tail end of February 2012. By that summer, I want to say we were transitioning to NXT as far as branding. Um, we were still in Tampa. We wouldn't move to Orlando until 2013, but we changed our live event setups, you know, all the, the ring, everything, the branding was starting to change to NXT. So um, only, for me, I was technically only part of the old NX, uh, FCW guard, if you will, for you know, maybe five, six months. 
So what is the relationship like, if there's any, with Triple H at this point, who's obviously kind of rebranding and, and eventually going to take it to Orlando, and he's running NXT. Any relationship with H? Um, I mean, at the time, so as we, like, because he, he used to come into FCW, he was still doing, you know, scouting talent and helping them uh, decide, you know, who to maybe bring up. We would see him when he would come down every so often, but it was rare. But then as the rumblings about the NXT stuff and the branding started, now we see him more often. And then obviously once we started doing tapings and things at Full Sail, he was there on the floor helping produce the show. And uh, so obviously he had a very close relationship with a lot of our top talent, your Seth Rollins and everything like that. But he was, he was at every television taping. He was on the floor, very accessible, very approachable too. Now, would you become friendly with him? I mean, you said he had a great relationship with Norman Smiley. Is that able to happen with a guy like Triple H, or is he just, he's just too busy? He's got too much going on. I think it depends. I think for some people, it, and that uh, I've always, I've, I'll be honest, it's been one of my uh, shortfalls, I think. Is I, I do sometimes have a hard time uh, approaching, you know, people of authority. I, I never want to cause an issue, and sometimes, I'll be honest, that has caused me a little bit of, of trouble, I think. But he was also incredibly busy. We would only see him at TVs, really. Uh, we weren't there. He wasn't there on a day-to-day basis, so it was hard to have that super uh, tight rapport that I might have had with some of the other coaches. But uh, but I do remember one time I was very surprised because we were at TV, and it, I think it was my birthday the day before. And, like, nobody had really mentioned anything. A couple of my close friends, you know, happy birthday, stuff like that. But we, I, we were waiting, you know, hanging around the ring, practicing things, stuff like that. Hunter's on his phone. He's on the headset calling match, and he walks by kind of looks over at me and he goes, hey, it was your birthday the other day, right? I was like, uh, yeah, it was. He goes, hey, happy birthday. And, like, something small like that from somebody who's obviously clearly very busy, I was just like, holy crap. Like, he, I barely talked to him at that point. And not only he recognized, remember who I was, remembered my birthday, knew it was that, you know, that week. So little things like that I did always like about him. Nice. Very, very cool. Now, as you're going along, you become Aiden English. Where does the name come from? Because we've had so many guys on, and we love to joke around that they have a name generated. They just throw two names together. Sometimes they throw out like 100 names. You just end up picking two by random. Where does the name come from? Well, I mean, I think that I think a lot of us during that time had the uh, had a similar story. I think Baron Corbin has a very similar story with the name of a list of like 20 names or something. I was like, yeah, I think they're all okay, but I love these five or whatever. And so, like, I, I told him, uh, Rob Naylor was our kind of creative assistant at the time. I was like, these oh, are yeah. The names. Yep. yeah. I'm like, so these are the names. He goes, okay, these are cool. He goes, I'll submit these. You come back. And it's like, yeah, no. I was like, what? So I think, yeah, they, uh, they come up with some more. So I go, come on. So I come up with another list. I'm like, okay. He was like, 10 more. I'm like, but, you know, these these three or four. I'm like, those, I think those are my favorite. He goes, okay, come back. He's like, no. Nah. So I'm like, what? So he's like, they came, they came up with like these. Like, I forget what it was, like six or seven names. He's like, pick one. I go, really? Okay. And so I, was, I had the idea of the character in my head, the kind of theater, snooty, pompous, over-the-top kind of uh, maestro character. And so I, I saw Aiden English, and I'm like, that sounds douchey. Um, hmm. I'll go with that. And, uh, and it stuck. I'm just so, like, baffled by some, like, who is actually creating the names and giving them to you, just random writers? Because they're always pretty terrible, if you really think about it. I I have no idea. But that just shows you the crazy world that wrestling is, because there are are a lot of weird 
goofy sounding names that like years later as the talent gets over because you know they're good at what they do or whatever you just you don't even think about it you're like oh yeah you know like he talks about it himself but baron corbin what a strange sounding name but now you don't even think twice it's like oh baron corbin's facing you know uh roman reigns or whatever it's just like you don't think about the weirdness of his name because he's just he's done so well and everything but yeah there's a lot of that in wrestling yeah think about it aiden english is is just kind of like you said douchey sounding or like different uh it's just kind of like a a weird name to come up with. You just kind of think as a thing, like who is coming up with these names? Is it the wrestlers? Like this is weird. Hey, Dolph Ziggler is Dolph Ziggler, but he's still the yes. best, one of the best in the damn world. <laughs> that is true. When he first came out with that name as a fan, you're like Dolph Ziggler. Wow. How, how is this guy going to deal with this? And then he gets over yeah. you know, and he becomes a big star and you just forget that's his name and it just becomes his name. Yeah, Exactly. Even Triple H, there's just the saying Triple H. It's just like, yeah. that makes no sense. Like, what do you mean Triple H? Like, that's his yeah. name, Triple H. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It rolls off our tongue so easy now. And every fan's, oh, Triple H, I love him, all this stuff. And But imagine if anybody, if we heard anybody come in like, hey, I'm Triple R. We'd be like, what? That's the <laughs> stupidest sounding thing I've ever heard. But yet here we are. And, you know, he's, he's a legend in the business. Yep. Now, Aiden English is born, and you said, you know, you, you loved it. You, you know, you're going to be uh, kind of just a douchey, over-the-top character. Like, what's the process with, like, coming up with the gimmick and stuff? Is that them giving it to you? Do you get to work it out, work it out with, like, Dusty and Triple H? How does that whole thing work? Uh, there was a ton of creative freedom. And I, in my experience, anyway, in anyway, NXT and FC, uh, excuse me, FCW, NXT, and WWE, um, but especially down to developmental, that was the whole point. Uh, and Dream loved that. Dusty Rhodes loved that. That's what those promo days were for, or communication skills, baby, as he used to call it. Um, hmm. It was all about. He loved it when people would just try different, new, weird stuff. Like he didn't like seeing the same thing every week. So they they encouraged you to try all kinds of character things. And when it worked, you knew because they would respond, or, or your fellow peers would respond. And so then that helped you latch on to something. Because if it worked there, good chances are it's going to work, you know, in a general audience. So there was a lot of creative freedom down in, uh, in NXT and FCW. What was it like with Big Dust? I mean, that's unbelievable. You get one of the greatest of all time down there helping you guys do promos and stuff. And he knows better than anybody what's a good promo, what's not. You know, the quote-unquote communication skills you just said. I mean, he's the master. I mean, I, I never – ever take for granted the fact that I got to sit and learn under a guy like Dusty Rhodes. And, you know, we just came, we just passed up the, the anniversary of his passing. And I remember that very, um, very somberly. I remember we were at an NXT uh, show away in Pittsburgh, actually the day we found out. And uh, yeah, no, I, I, I will never ever forget my time under him. He was so, especially at that point in his life and career, he just loved helping people out. He loved, um, getting to help people find their voice. And that's what it really was, helping people tell a story. He didn't, you know, for someone who came from an era of a lot of, you know, just yelling wrestling promos, brother, I'm going to kick your butt and all this stuff. Like, he hated that kind of promo. He loved it when you spoke from the heart, even if it was just softly. He loved stories. And you could tell that from the way he spoke. So it was absolutely incredible. And me and him, um, I was lucky to have a very good relationship with him. He, he had, I 
almost embarrassed to say because it just makes me feel like I wasn't worthy or whatever. But like he had he had always very very positive things uh, to say for, about me and my performances and everything. So I will be forever in the debt of Dusty Rhodes. Yes, same here actually because he did the last ever interview. It was a few days before he passed. You know, I, I had no idea he was sick or anything like that, but it was just shocking because I became, you know, not crazy friendly. He made me feel like we were friendlier probably than we really were, but it was crazy getting to know him um, right before then, which is shocked to hear the news. I was like, Oh my God, I just talked to him a little yesterday. Thank him for the interview. I was like, Oh my God, I had no idea, you know, anything was, was going on. So um, that was very, very uh, sad. It was just a crazy time, but he um, really kind of helped out the show by even agreeing to do the interview with us. So, I mean, he, he's great. He's yeah, he's phenomenal. And, uh, that there's a whole generation of talent who uh, who is also who is in the debt of Dusty Rhodes. That's for sure. Now, as you're going along, and you're you're you know going along, and you're you're wrestling, and maybe you're losing to Bray Wyatt or Ryback or Big E or whatever. When you're going along, are you happy? Kind of your placement, or you're thinking like, oh, I am like I should be moving up the card. I, I at that time, uh, so yeah, like that, those early NXT days, I did a lot of like enhancement. Uh, so, but honestly, at that time, while in the back of my mind, I wanted more, of course, the goal was always more, but I was very proud and like happy with what I was doing because honestly, uh, maybe it's too modest, but I, I was still very, very new to the wrestling business. You know, we can't forget, like I trained and then, you know, was, did a couple of indies and then got signed. So that, you know, that first year on that FCW slash NXT God, I'm still in my first year, year and a half in the business. So to be able to, you know, to be able to do jobs for guys like Bray Wyatt and Big E and Ryback, Mason Ryan, even at the time, who, who was kind of a deep, big deal, um, Leo Kruger, who was on his way up at the time, um, to be able to work with those guys was incredible. And I remember getting incredible uh, encouragement from uh, Bray Wyatt, actually. Because he, he was the one who let me know. He's like, hey, we're going to do – if it's cool, we're probably going to have a match at, at TV. It's, it's going to be one of my first matches and everything like that. Um, and I, I didn't say a word, word one, but he was like, I just want you to know. He's like, the reason they're putting you in this match is because, like, is because they see how, like, talented you're becoming. And, it was, and you're going to be a guy here. Like, I don't know what he goes, but you're going to do well here. And he's like, and I appreciate you doing this. And he goes, the reason – I want you in there with me and they want you because they know it's going to be good. So at that time, that early on, I was proud to be, you know, whatever you want to call it, a good hand. I was proud to help get these guys over, show how good of a professional I was and willing to do business. And that's a key role for a lot of those guys coming up. You know what I mean? They need the guy to make them look good on the way up for sure. Absolutely. Now, when you do the singing gimmick and you start getting that, where does that come from? Is that just like, okay, this guy's got this background. He's got a great voice. He could sing. Let's do a gimmick. Or is this something that you pitch to them? And again, I mean, this is, I, virtually everything that you've seen me do has been something from me or who, you know, whatever partners I was with or whatever at the time. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think, I don't think I ever had anything that, was, that you've seen on television that was you know, quote unquote, thrust upon me by creative. Uh, there's, I think there's a lot more creative freedom than people, uh, than people think and than people realize. Um, and it depends obviously on the talent and the story, but yeah, uh, that was me. That was all me. That's what I was doing on promo days. I, I thought it would be funny and entertaining to bring in this musical, I, which 
I faked it till I made it. I kind of just forced myself to have a vibrato in my voice and just wanted to kind of get heat from live crowds and stuff like that. So that was all me. Very somewhat, you know, uh, original, like to kind of just do that. And I'm sure Dusty loved it because it was something different, uh, you know, for, for promo class for sure. With the the singing and stuff, was that just getting out there, like you said, getting heat? Was that just like easy for you? Like, okay, like this is working. Uh, I'm really mastering my craft at this point. I mean, it helped me get there, I think, because um, I, I would, even before it was on television, I would do it at the, the NXT live events in Florida and stuff like that. So everything was always trying it out. But yeah, that helped me. The other thing it did, it helped me slow down because I would do those singing entrances. And to do that, much maybe to some people's chagrin, but like I, my entrance would take a, an extra minute, you know, because I'm not just coming mm-hmm. out to some rock and roll music and I'm in the ring in 20 seconds. I'm walking down, I'm singing in people's faces. And it really let me kind of absorb the audience and learn to like listen to reactions. What are they biting on? What are they not? And then by the time I kind of came back to that again in WWE when I was on my own, I had really kind of really helped me master it even more. So yeah, that was that played a key role in letting me kind of learn the the, the live aspect of what we do. So eventually they team you up as the Vaudevillains with Simon Gotch, and you guys become a tag team. Where does that kind of come from? So that, um, I've mentioned this in, uh, once or twice before, but I, I don't know the full, full story. All I was told was that this was, I remember this is after TV. I just kind of finished up doing the, some of the stuff I did with Big Cast and maybe one other person at the time. So I didn't, I didn't have anything directly going on. And Simon was doing the Rosebud thing. And so the story I was told was that Hunter kind of saw, was looking for something for me. And then, you know, had seen Simon, who, had, you know, who always showed up to our television tapings in full kind of like character, which I always appreciated. Mustache up, you know, bow tie, things like that. He's like, he's, he's out here. He's got this very unique look and presentation. English isn't doing anything right now. And he's got the whole singing over the top. Is there some kind of thing there? Just kind of he was asking people and our coaches, is there anything with those two? So they came to us and kind of pitched that. It was like, hey, get together come up with something and uh, we're going to try this as a team. So, uh, you know, we didn't talk a whole lot before then. And so we kind of got together and people kept pitching, you know, sideshow and, and old school and vaudeville. And so we kind of just went home and played around with the word vaudeville. And the first thing that came to mind was vaudeville. And so I thought it sounded kind of cheesy and funny and entertaining. And sure enough, they loved it and they bit and off to the races. Love that. And again, like you said, the creative freedom, you're kind of coming up with the stuff because you'll be comfortable doing it. It's not somebody or a writer forcing you into it. It's you guys coming up with it. That usually makes for a better character, right? 100%. I mean, I always say this. People have a BS meter, even if they don't know it. Audiences know when something's not genuine. And so it's either up to the performer to embody something that's outside themselves and, and ground themselves in it in some kind of reality within them, or you have to be out there performing something that is somewhat akin to who you are. That is some that is organically growing from something inside you. So absolutely. what did you think about the chemistry with Simon Gotch? I thought it was, I thought from a performance standpoint, I thought it was really good. We actually worked really well together. Um, we both had a lot of creative ideas of, you know, skits to do backstages, you know, vignettes, uh, 
Simon came up with these. Um, they only showed up on TV, I think, like once or twice, but I think a couple of leaked promos have, have gotten out there from promo day of like these puppets that Simon used to make of, of uh, felt and styrofoam. And so it, it gave us a lot of creative freedom to be, to be entertaining, but then, uh, but then also just to explore a full range of things. So the gimmick itself, is that you guys making it like black and white when you first come out and, and that kind of stuff, or is that them adding to what you guys have created to begin with? So I think that was kind of a collaboration because down at NXT and I'll give credit to someone else at the time. Um, when, after we moved to the performance center, one of our kind of creative liaisons, if you will, uh, you know, kind of an assistant to dusty and helping us all develop ideas was a guy named Ryan Katz, who's phenomenal. Um, Katz has been around the wrestling business for a while. And so he was kind of helping us develop things. And he's actually the guy who was in our, um, our first tight, a little Tron doing the, he was the carnival barker. Uh, I thought so. I was going to ask you that. I thought so. Okay. Yeah. So like, so we, we were kind of developing things cause they were, Hey, what do you have for an entrance? So we kind of came up with things like that, the spotlight. And I don't remember who it was, but in that collaboration, the black and white came to us with the film grain and everything. So that was a collaborative effort. Cool entrance, too. I feel like, you know, WWE in general, their production staff, they always kind of enhance the guy with the entrance. I mean, right? Like, it's always kind of a little bit better than you would think if it's just kind of going out there just playing. The entrance kind of makes the whole character really gel and make the audience really react to him. I mean, I think an entrance is some is so key. Uh, and not everybody needs a big character or, like, highly produced entrance. Not by all means. Obviously, we've some of the biggest talents don't have it, but I think for the right talent, for the right persona, I think it's huge. There's a joke in our business sometimes where it's like, Hey, what do you want to do for the match or whatever? And you know, some guy's like, just give me my entrance brother. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's sometimes that's all the shine you need for certain guys. Like after that, beat me up and then we'll, we'll we'll go to our, our finish, our, our go home, whatever it is. So sometimes an entrance can be very key to a certain persona. Take over a Brooklyn over Blake and Murphy, what was your kind of thoughts at this point? Because these NXT TakeOver shows, and especially when it's in Brooklyn, I mean, they're huge, they're sold out, the crowd is nuts, and the audience at home is usually one of the biggest in WWE Network. Yeah, I mean, that, that's at that time that I was talking about. Things were, the match was lit, and things were just exponentially exploding and growing. And I remember at the time... And it was kind of funny how it all worked out for us because not not too long before that, um, that was obviously in like August towards the end of summer. But in the beginning of the summer, I remember we had kind of been off television, NXT television, and we came back to TV. And during our time away, we kind of developed ourselves as baby faces on NXT live events because people liked our characters. And so we came back to television and we did, we wrestled a match with baby faces and we came back and I don't remember who it was, but like, what was that? And we're like, what do you mean? They're like, why did you just like blow a comeback and like wrestle like babies? Cause we're like, Oh, we were kind of under the impression that that was what was getting over it. And they're like, Oh no, we still need you as heels. We're like, Oh. And so it's funny. Cause then later that taping, we go out and wrestle another, I think it was an enhancement match and we wrestled more like kind of heels. But then, Shortly after that, they couldn't kind of stop the, the fans' reaction, and they luckily listened 
and kind of moved us into a babyface role against Blake and Murphy. And the timing worked out just perfectly to where our first huge arena show was that first Brooklyn. And we were in that spot. So like, that's another thing I'll never ever forget. Uh, just being in that spot and then being very serendipitous that we had uh, got to work there and to work with Blake and Murphy, who were one of my favorite tag teams to work with. Such a huge moment. Do you get surprised or you get like choked up or emotional or anything like when you actually win it? Or is it just like, ah, you know, great moment, but it's, you know, it's just, you know, it's just tag team titles and nothing big. Or does it, does it really mean a lot to you? I mean, that that's a crowning achievement for me. That, I mean, that hands down the combination of that place, that time, that event, those opponents. Um, yeah, no, that, that meant a lot. And it's my first championship win in wrestling. So uh, that's obviously huge to me, let alone for it to be on that stage. Very cool. Did you expect to hold the titles longer than you had? I mean, basically two months reign, you lose to Dash and Dawson, AKA the revival. Um, did you expect a longer run or you didn't really even think about it? Uh, I didn't really think about it too much. You know, any, anybody who's on top of a division or, you know, representing it, you hope to have a, a significant run, but you also never know what the reasons are. And uh, sometimes, especially with NXT, there's always the opportunity to move. And so we heard rumblings that there were thoughts about us maybe going to Raw or SmackDown at that point, because that was, what, that was fall 2015. And then, we we moved up in the spring of 2016. So it was only about six months after that that we ended up moving up anyway. So it might have just been a little shy. They might have just jumped the gun a little bit. So there's always multiple reasons. And then also to work and to put over guys like Dash and Dawson, who we had wrestled a bunch on NXT TV, but at live events and everything, and who, who are obviously one of the best tag teams in the world. Uh, and have made themselves into such an incredible unit. So it, it, I was happy to work with those guys and to put them over. Yeah, they're really kind of uh, making a name for themselves in AEW, kind of by stepping away from WWE, they've made a name for themselves, which is kind of a cool thing and a little little different thing. You know what I mean? Usually people don't kind of quit and then bet on themselves and succeed. I mean, the odds are not ten, technically not always in their favor, right? That was kind of a, a big thing that they did and really kind of worked out for them. Yeah, absolutely. They know, I mean, there's one thing I know about Dan and Dave, and they, you're right, they, they bet on themselves, they're confident in who they are and what they can do, and they knew it. And they, you know, they, they held out, they waited, they were patient, which is a hard thing for anybody, especially, you know, when potentially, you know, financial stuff is involved, but they were patient, they were positive, and they knew what they could do. And that's sometimes key, is just that confidence to know who you are. And, uh, and I'm so proud of them and what they're doing. So you guys get called up to SmackDown, the main roster call-up. Who calls you? Is it Johnny Ace again telling you you're getting a call-up? No. So at that time, uh, we weren't sure. Again, right around WrestleMania, we were hearing the rumblings. Like, I think you guys might be one of the, the crew moving up post-WrestleMania, but we don't know. We don't know. And then uh, that weekend, there was a lot of, like, hullabaloo about, like, Baron Corbin was in that Battle Royal. I know Enzo and Cass had gotten, you know, they've got the on-camera kind of call up from Triple H for that backstage series we were doing. And uh, I think Apollo Crews got a similar kind of thing. And so, like, we weren't, we weren't sure, are we, aren't we? And so all that happened, we're, at, we're on WrestleMania Sunday, and we hadn't heard anything. So it was like, okay, may, maybe we're going to be down the road. All right, so it's, it's not our time. 
And then sure enough, Sunday morning, we're all getting ready to go to WrestleMania just kind of as a team, as NXT. And then we got a call to be in Gorilla at WrestleMania once we arrived. So we went there, and then that was actually when uh, Mark Carano of Talent Relations informed us that the decision had been made that we'd be starting on SmackDown that week. Very cool. What's that kind of like mentally? Are you just uh, elated at that point? Like, yes, you know, it's a dream has come true. Yeah, like, I mean, it was, I mean, it was like, I think it was more of like the next step has started. Because, you know, like, I mean, you still, you still got to, you kind of start over a little bit. So it's like there was high-fiving and, you know, and hugging and stuff, but it was, there was a little bit of like, okay, now it's time to put in, put in the groundwork all over again. So, like, let's, let's, we're happy, positive, but let's, you know, let's hit the ground running. So you guys do get a title shot against the New Day, and before that, an odd kind of victory over Enzo and Cass when Enzo KO'd himself, which is crazy when you go back and you watch that, like, whoa, Jesus. Were you kind of happy with what was going on with you guys at that point, um, getting you know a good a fair amount of TV time, getting tag title shots, things like that? I mean, we were happy, uh, obviously, that, that match and that situation aside, and um, because you never, ever, ever – want to see that we work so hard to avoid that but um mm-hmm. but outside outside of that like yeah we, we, you know we we were we debuted we were getting some tv time we were part of that tournament you know we wanted to go on and work with the new day who are some of my favorite human beings on planet earth to, still to this day and some of the best wrestlers as well so like that was such a cool honor um it was fun i i, I will say the one thing we wish i think all of us as part of that kind of unit, New Day included, we wish we would have been able to have a chance to get a little bit more creative during our first real rivalry. Um, there were a lot of ideas. I know me and Xavier was so many things with vignettes and black and white things and with them going back and forth. And the time machine thing was, they, that was one little piece. I wish we could have done even more stuff along those lines and gotten even more creative with it. But, uh, but overall, yeah, I was very honored and very uh, happy to be to be where we were. Is the creative freedom less in WWE than it was in NXT? I think maybe a little bit because, you know, the audience is bigger. The audience is more broad. You know, we, do, we have to worry about ratings and advertisers, and time is kind of a little bit more of the essence. Excuse me, essence. We're on network television, stuff like that. So things, things are a little bit more tight, tightly controlled, um, on Raw and SmackDown, but that isn't to say that there's no creative freedom. There's input, but I would say, yes, it's a little bit more hands-on. Now, when Simon Tagach gets released, is that like an absolute, you know, stake in the heart kind of thing? Like, that's got to kill you because you guys are up there, everything's going well, and he gets released, and obviously that means the end of the, a great tag team in the vaudeville. I think it was it was better – and, but I think we both at that point too were, we were trying to think of something because at that point we had been on a bit of a road. We weren't on television much. We were trying to get involved in things and it just wasn't clicking. So, you know, whatever it was with the vaudeville was not biting. And somebody was not biting on it. And so we were both kind of, I don't know if I'd say frustrated, but we were just, we were a little, getting tired of trying to fight for that. So I think even if that hadn't happened, we'd be looking either to completely change things up or to look to do things on our own anyway. I know Simon was really, really wanted to get out and wrestle more the way he likes to wrestle, like, kind of like the way he is now with NMLW and things like that. He really wanted a chance to do things like that. So it was like this uh, – I think we saw it as a, 
don't know, a chance maybe. Um, it was it was unfortunate, obviously, but uh, yeah, like I said, at the time, I think we were growing growing tired of fighting for the vaudevillains a little bit, and uh, we're, I, I know I was looking just looking in a, right ahead to the next opportunity. Sometimes, as a fan, it's weird to see something fail in WWE or not work as well, but was really successful in NXT. Is that ever like surprised you a little bit too? It's like, wow, it got over so good here. How come it wasn't getting over here? It does, and it doesn't. Um, and it's special. I mean, again, especially at that time, 2015, 2016, that was like that birth and rise of that, that NXT audience, that especially that full, we were still at full sale, you know, the early days of full sale. So we had this home audience that was like a family and they, so they loved embracing these strange homegrown characters. Like they, they very, they were into those unique specific characters. I mean, you had people like Tyler Breeze, C, uh, CJ Parker at the time was doing cool stuff. You know, Xavier Woods, even before New Day, was doing was doing awesome stuff. Leo Kruger, Bray Wyatt, all these people, um, they loved those kind of, these characters are different and they're unique and specific. And so I did know, and I was always a little concerned, because the audience, no ifs, ands, or buts about it for Raw and SmackDown and, and the main roster, as it were, are much broader. You know, that's, that's a huge television audience of millions as opposed to a unique specific audience that seeks that show out on the WWE network. This is a broad television audience, anywhere from babies to grandma and grandpa. So um, sometimes those unique and specific characters are a little, they're a little strange for, for the more general audience. So you always, you always kind of take a, take a risk with some with a character like that. Oh, it was well said. You don't even think about it. You're right. It's a much more broader audience. So maybe that's why some, some of it clicks and some of it doesn't makes uh, perfect sense for sure. Absolutely. So, so you do going along, you have a, have a uh, singles run basically. And eventually, I mean, you see with Ty Dillinger basically uh, along the way, but you form with Rusev. How does that all come about? I mean, another kind of happenstance of fate, um, Timing again, and the, the, what I loved about that whole pairing, that whole thing, was it was pretty organic. Um, everybody, you know, the kind of start of it was that Rusev Day ceremony with the mayor and the key and the singing of the uh, Bulgarian national anthem, which I was told I had to learn about two days before TV. <laughs> and hmm. uh, so, um, and that was simply because, like, the week before, I was in a match a totally cold match with Randy Orton who was in the middle of a, a thing, a story with Rusev. And so our paths just kind of crossed happenstance. And so they were like, Hey, we're going to put you in this segment because you have this character anyway. So learn the national anthem and we're going to do this ceremony. And that was supposed to be it. As far as I know, it was, you know, a one-off we're going to do this ceremony and so on. But then people latched onto the Rusev day thing and immediately started kind of chanting it and, and saying it and stuff. And so they were like, all right, well, we'll bring it back the next week. All right, well, you'll come out within the next week. And now I'm on live events with him. And it just, the audiences, the more they saw it, the more they wanted it. So it just bloomed from there. Yeah, it was so, like, random, but organic, but it actually worked, and the crowd got into it. Did you ever, like, think of, like, okay, I'm going to do this, do that? Or is it just really, like, totally ad-libbed? Like, I'm, okay, this, I'm just going to go with it, and let's see what happens. I mean, I feel like every week we just kind of we kind of molded it. We just saw what was going to happen, and luckily in that they gave us kind of a lot of creative freedom. I know it was great for for Rusev, for Miro, 
because he he was someone who had been longing for a chance to kind of show more of his personality. Uh, you know, besides just being the the big bruiser uh, that he was, he he's such a fun fun loving funny guy. So he was always looking for opportunities to do that, and so. I followed his lead because he had a little bit more leeway maybe than I did because he was a little bit higher up on the pecking order. And so he would take some leeway. So I would take some leeway. We would just have fun in our, in our backstage segments and promos and stuff like that. So each week we just kind of played with it a little bit more and more. It's funny that Rusev Day got so over. Did you think that they were behind it? Like was WWE behind it, behind the scenes? Because, you know, sometimes they say if they don't get the thing over, if you guys are getting it over on your own, sometimes they won't give it the full push. Uh, I So I will say this. A lot of people say that um, if it's on your television, nine times out of ten, they're behind it. Why TV time is not cheap. We can't – you can't forget that, you know, on these major networks, especially uh, – a major network like like USA television time is not cheap. So to have anyone out there in a position, I mean, they, I remember from one of my singing things with him, like we had five minutes, which doesn't sound like a lot, but we had to do that. And then we had a match. And so that's a lot of television time, five, mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes in a two hour show, which is really only an hour and a half after commercials. That's a chunk of the show. So if it's on your television, they care about it in some way, shape or form. I think the one thing where we kind of got, jogging back and forth was as we got more and more over and more and more popular, I think we kind of kept waiting for the kind of like almost like a baby face turn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I kept thinking almost like, Hey, like remember new day, they were, they were heels at first, but they were so kind of over the top, such fun and entertaining characters. The audience loved them. You had to turn it. So we're like, I feel like that's something that could happen with us. But every but that was the one thing that was like, nope, you got you guys are the heels here, you guys are the heels here, you guys you know that was the one thing where I think we had a little bit of a disconnect. Uh but I mean they obviously you saw it. I mean we were on tag team title matches. We were uh Rusev was featured in WrestleMania, he got a world championship shot against AJ Styles. So we were kept in the mix all along. So I I, I do shut down those people that say like, Oh, they they didn't want it to succeed. Um so I, I don't agree with that. It's funny, you're right, because you guys got over, but you're really, technically, you guys are heels. So it's funny, like, you become this big popular act, but you're still bad guys. Should that have happened? Like, Babyface, I know you said you were expecting it, but shouldn't that have happened if you just logically think, like, okay, these guys are getting over? You mentioned the New Day thing. They probably should have made you guys faces, no? I think so. Uh, it just depends on the timing. Cause, but cause even I, though, agree, because that'll happen with a lot of people sometimes, like, They'll, they'll blow up with some excitement. And the thing is, if you do it too quickly, though, and you're like, you know, oh, every week we've got really big reactions for these guys. Make it, make them the ultimate good guy. Because then all of a sudden it's almost like, uh, I don't know how to put it, but it's like when, you, when your mom and dad all of a sudden want to hang out with you, all of a sudden hmm. it's, really, it's really late. So, but some, not that that happens all the time, but sometimes, like if they would have just turned us into these, like, goody, good guys all of a sudden, I think it would have been kind of lame. So sometimes it's fun to fight the grain a little bit. Like, yeah, come on, we want these guys. We want these guys to be winning and like winning championships or whatever, and and beating beating the bad guys. And so I think it, if it was going to happen, I mean, it, it did right before the end. If you remember, like when we were going up against like Cesaro and uh, Sheamus, and so like they, they did kind of let us. And I feel like if we were at that point, so after almost eight months, a year of being 
heels and then, you know, popular heels. Right around, right before we ended, that's why we all kind of wish we would have gotten a little bit longer run. I would have loved to see that transition into like a full-time babyface team. I thought we could have had a lot of fun with that. No doubt about that. How come you guys did end it like that? I mean, was it explained to you guys why they were ending the team? All I can say is no, I never got an explanation. Um, I didn't hear anything Rusev as far as what he, we talked about. He never got an official, why are we doing this? Um, I, I, I literally have nothing to say on that. I don't know. Uh, we both, I know we both wanted to ride that thing till the wheels fell off. And uh, we always kind of hoped maybe we could get back to it. But, um, yeah, sometimes that's not where the chips fall. So it is what it is. Yeah, they kind of had the, the Lana dissension, and, you know, she kind of got involved, and that was the end of it. It was one of those things where, as a fan, you always think, like, wow, they could have done more with that. And you, I guess you do think of that, too, right, as a wrestler. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I thought with that pairing was so – we said it earlier. It is, it's very odd. On paper, it's so weird. It doesn't seem like it should work, but it did. And because of that – I, there was so much to do because those characters are so different. It's not like just any tag team where the two guys are the same thing. They just like both fighting and stuff. He was this big gregarious Bulgarian guy. I'm this like singing over the top kind of manager and wrestler and stuff like that. And our character, our personalities are so different yet. We vibe on the same thing. There, there was endless, you know, fodder for, for material we thought. So yeah, absolutely. There was more to mind there. So really, WrestleMania 35 Access versus Cassius Ono, part of the When World Collide, was the final match, right? I mean, was that your final WWE match, technically speaking? Yes. What did you kind of think about that? I mean, were you ready for that? Did you think it was going to be a final match before getting into the announcing gig? Um, I mean, no, I was already in the announcing gig at that point. So that was just kind of like a detour back into things. Um, so I, I was cool with it because, you know, I, I do – I love wrestling, and I and I never – um, it was never like announcing was never like a retirement thing. It was never like, I'm done. It was just like, Hey, this is a thing to do for now. Uh, this was an opportunity, uh, kind of what I'm, the word I'm trying to look for, was just kind of offered. Yeah. Offered to me. Uh, it wasn't thrust upon me. It wasn't forced upon me. Uh, it was just Tom Phillips who, you know, helps manage the announcement was like, Hey, I think you'd be really good at this. You want to give it a try? And Rusev Day was over, and I wasn't doing much. So I was like, sure, why not expand my horizons, expand my skill set? Um, I always like being good at a lot of things. So, uh, and I fell in love with it a lot more than I thought I would. It's a really, a really good skill to have, just broadcasting in general. And uh, and I turned out to be pretty pretty good at it. And I was happy doing it. So that's why I stayed doing it. I never I never saw it as like I was done. I always knew I would. Whether it was for a short run or anything, I knew my wrestling wasn't done. But for now, I was embracing the opportunity to announce and take on a new skill. Very cool. And like you said, you were announcing technically, but really the last match was a part of WrestleMania 35. Then, obviously, you know, you become more part of uh, 205 Live, NXT UK, doing the SmackDown gig. Easy transition? Because you do have the great voice and obviously you have wrestling knowledge, but is it an easy transition to become the broadcaster and the announcer? It's like I really enjoyed it, and like I said, things I had some great um, mentorship from Tom Phillips and Michael Cole, and especially huge shout out to Vic Joseph and Nigel McGinnis, who were my 205 Live 
broadcast partners to start with who I couldn't ask for two better people on planet earth to, uh, to get sat in that booth with. Um, but like, I also don't want to make it sound because it's not easy. It's not, it's much more difficult and there's a lot more nuance to it than I think people think you don't just go out there and just, Hey, just talk and just say some stuff. No, there's, there's timing and there's storytelling and, and especially in a three man, three person booth, you've got to balance each other out and everything like that. So there's a whole rhythm to it that uh, it, it did take me a little bit to get. I was, I was fortunate enough to have some good teaching and some good uh, things for it, but there's a lot more to it than I think people understand. That is for sure. And to do it well too. I mean, there's definitely something to that effect. When you go along and you end up getting released as part of these COVID-19 budget cuts and you know, the whole world turns upside down and everybody's basically, you know, out of a job at one point, it seemed like it was just insane what was going on out there. Was there a surprise, a shock? Were you, uh, you know, upset? Like, what was kind of your initial reaction to getting re- released as part of the COVID-19 cuts from WWE? I mean, it, it, of course, it, it was sad. I mean, I, I loved, I loved my job. Um, but as I said in a, in a video post earlier, uh, earlier, or excuse me, later that during that time, um, it was, it was, just, it was a sad day for a lot of people a lot of people who didn't get the run that I got or didn't get the exposure. There's a lot of people behind the scenes at, at our headquarters. A lot of people were affected by that. So I don't know. It was like, of course it was sad for me. And like, it was unfortunate, but like the day, I remember the day just being marred by, I felt, I felt for our whole company. Um, and so like that, that it was just, it was a hard time. And it was already a hard time for the world. And then for it, for us to be affected like that too. So that, that's how I remember feeling that day. So as we head towards the finish, head towards the wind down, you know, you're up to so many things today. One of those things where it's almost like you're not the happy you were released, but you're able to do so much more things because you're not on the road 24-7. I mean, it is. It's kind of nice to explore that. Not, not only that, I'm not on the road 24-7. Um, and I'm, I'm not, you know, pushing here for the, for the pandemic, of course, at all, but like, as a result of like, especially out here in Chicago, we've been locked down pretty tight, especially at the beginning, just staying home a lot. It really forced me into like, all right, got to keep busy because I can't just sit around and chill. So it's like, so I dive into the wrestling with whiskey, create more content for that, do more fitness related content, uh, content. I'm doing a Patreon. I'm doing, I jump into the Twitch thing, kind of fall in love with my, my old love of gaming and everything like that. Uh, yeah, I can't, I have a hard time sitting still. So it, I love the opportunity to really, to dive into all of that, explore some of my other passions and hobbies with an eye on the prize of, of course, always getting back into the wrestling world because it, it is my first love and performing in front of live crowds is, is unlike anything else. And I hope we can get back to that soon. I just want to ask you about some favorites you had. I just like to you know, ask that and kind of get a general feeling of some of your favorite, not only matches, but maybe a favorite opponents. And obviously NXT takeover against uh, Blake and Murphy was, was a favorite moment, but do you have some favorite opponents and some favorite matches out there? Maybe guys we didn't mention. Um, I mean, I, every interview I can, I have a chance to mention Sean Spears uh, because he is so, so good. And he's been doing this for a long time. Uh, you can't tell because he looks like he's 25, the bastard. But um, <laughs> the guy's 10 years older than me and looks 10 years younger. I hate him. Uh, but I love him. He's so good. Our, there were so many matches you guys didn't see. We had, you know, we had a couple uh, 
pay-per-view kickoff matches, but we were married on live events and on tours for a long time. And like, I remember just tearing the house down with him, like across the world, literally across the world and across the country. I had so much fun wrestling him. Uh, Brody Lee, Luke Harper. um, I had a great series of live events with him that I wish could have turned into a TV, uh, something on TV. We we had such a great time wrestling each other and, and we're, we're good buddies. Uh, God, there's so many, um, New Day and Usos, man, when Rusev Day was doing the whole tag team title kind of hunt, those guys are so good. They're so good. They're so much fun to work. Another, that's another group of guys who like, we were kind of married on house shows and live events that, uh, I just cannot put over enough. Now, as far as some whiskey and uh, some whiskey-related stuff and some bourbon, what would you kind of suggest out there? I know you obviously you have the YouTube channel, but what are, what's some of your favorite? Uh, little Jack, uh, Little Gentleman's Jack, Little Maker's Mark? I mean, what's, what's kind of just uh, some of your favorites as far as whiskey? So um, I've got a lot of – I'm a huge fan, actually, of wild turkey products in general. I think they are – I'm not going to call them a hidden gem, but I think a lot of people associate, like, Wild Turkey and Wild Turkey 101 is kind of just like a, a lowbrow, like drink. It's, oh, it's just, it's, that's an old college shop drink, right? Uh, but to me, it's a very, if you really look at the stats of it, it is a fine bourbon. It is produced very well. The proof is good. The age is good. The flavor is good. And I mean, you can get a liter of that for less than phenomenal. Um, for people who are newer to whiskey and especially American whiskey and bourbon, uh, my big suggestion is Buffalo Trace uh, bourbon. It's sometimes a little bit harder to find, but it's also only around $30, only 90 proof. And I find it to be very sweet. So people who might have a hard time with some of the bitterness and harshness of whiskey, I think Buffalo Trace is a very sweet product. So I think that's always a great intro point if you're trying to get into uh, a bourbon. Now, as far as yourself and let's just say maybe five years down the road or maybe a couple years down the road, where do you see yourself? Do you, I mean, what do you see yourself doing? Back in wrestling, in the ring, announcing, uh, kicking off this YouTube thing, making it even bigger. Where do you see yourself? I, I mean, the answer to me right now is all of the above. I like, I, I really want to do everything. So I'm, I'm continuing to dive into all this like content online and everything like that because I do think that's, that's the wave of the future. We're not, you know, it's not so much TV ratings. I mean, it's YouTube views and hashtags and things like that. That's where content is really being made and consumed. So diving, yeah, diving into all that really, really head on. But then I do still want to wrestle because one of the things I loved about wrestling is the travel. And so I want to wrestle for all different companies all over the world and and take that as an opportunity to see different parts of the world. Because even when you're with WWE, those tours are so hectic, you sometimes don't get a chance to see places and countries. And so I really, that's one thing I'm really, really looking forward to is a lot of international work. And, and then honestly, back to the broadcast, I'd love to broadcast for a major company. I, I, I love the opportunity to tell people stories and to put talent over because I think sometimes that does get lost and to really talk about an individual talent and put them over uh, is sometimes not heard as much as it should be. And so, uh, yeah, I, to me, it, it sounds maybe a little overambitious, but like ev- all of the above. And I, I do appreciate that the fact that the world might literally be my oyster. Yeah, there you go. Now you do have a great voice. Uh, is that something you've worked on or is that just literally just natural, 
hereditary you somehow ended up with the, this great deep voice for wrestling um so it's it's a gift and a curse because it's funny because people say that all the time and i'm so appreciative but in like kind of in the mainstream media world i don't have a very good voice because my voice is very throaty i live in my throat you can kind of hear it um <laughs> and my at my voice teachers when i was acting hated it because the thing is if i do talk like this all the time especially at a high level of value blah 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 if I'm, if I was commentating like five days a week, I would lose my voice because the way I speak does strain my my vocal cords because I'm in my throat. I do need to technically learn to support my voice with breath a little bit more and be a little bit speak a little bit more like this because it's gonna be much healthier. But I have a hard time doing it, so uh, I'm glad that people appreciate my my deep throaty voice and uh, that it works for things like wrestling. So um, I'm always appreciative of that. Right, awesome stuff. Please give us all your plugs. I know obviously Wrestling with Whiskey is available on YouTube, but please give us all your social media plugs and everything else you got going on. Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, so Wrestling with Whiskey is kind of my my main little side passion, and you can find that on all Instagram, Twitter, uh, and as well as YouTube. Just look, search Wrestling with Whiskey, and you will find me. Uh, Same thing with Drama King Matt, Instagram, Twitter are my primary uh, profiles, but I'm also on Twitch under Drama King Matt, so I'm playing some games and doing some chatting and stuff on there. And uh, and then, I, yeah, I did a Patreon under Wrestling with Whiskey as well where I kind of give you some extra content, a little bit more in-depth look, and as well as uh, do some of my fitness-related content and where I, I'll make something custom for you and things like that. So I'm kind of a little bit, little bit all over the place. All right, awesome stuff from the Drama King, Aiden English, a.k.a. Matt. Thank you so much. Uh, for all the time and good luck with everything. I mean, you got so much going on. I feel like uh, you may need to slow down again. You may need to slow down, but uh, thank you so much for all the time today and uh, good luck with all your ventures. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.